as a queer individual, you're constantly exposed to a lot of sometimes turmoil. And that makes you a sensitive person. That also makes you a thoughtful person. You're listening to the QT Podcast, where we explore how queer professionals and entrepreneurs are building a brighter future for queer communities and the tech industry at large. I'm Margie Marchetti. My pronouns are they, them, and welcome to the QT Podcast. Hello, my name is Nasu, or Nas, as my friends call me. My pronouns are he, him. I am a senior front-end developer at a web design agency here in Montreal called Plank. Lovely. So this is our moment. So you are... Excited. No nerves, just excitement. So what is your origin story? How did you start working in tech? My origin story, that's actually, for me, it's a bit of a complicated one because it wasn't very linear. I did not know that I wanted to pursue a career in tech. I moved to Canada in November 2017. That was when I landed in Canada with a previous background in psychology. I was pursuing a degree in clinical psychology with the goal to go into criminal psychology. I was very passionate about it. I felt like it was my calling at the time. And I was like, I just want to pursue that. So I did... I want to say three years of university. And then my last year, I had to move to Canada and I moved through a refugee program. I say the word refugee. I just want to preface that I had the support of my entire family, right? It was a very smooth transition. It wasn't easy, but it was easier than how other people have it. It wasn't the same experience as a lot of people. And I just want to acknowledge that before we kind of move forward, because usually it's not a very easy transition. It's not smooth. The road is very bumpy. For me, it was easier would kind of help facilitate my like integration. So I landed in uh, Montreal and I immediately went into trying to get into university and try to finish my degree. I talked with the universities here, McGill and Concordia, and it was not possible for me to start where I left off. Essentially, I needed to just restart entirely. You know, it was a bummer. It was not what I expected, especially with one year left. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to start my entire academic career, which is I took pride in. I really loved what I was studying. I loved university. I enjoyed being there. Coming here, I felt that was kind of taken away from me. And then I stumbled onto... A little program here in Montreal, or, or it's actually Canada-wide, called Lighthouse Labs. And it's an immersive web development bootcamp, right? You go in for 12 weeks, that was the cohort I did, and you eat, breathe, code, that's it. That's all you're doing. Your life stops and becomes about kind of coding and just getting immersed into, into this whole universe. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. It seems like a lot. I'm scared. Maybe I can't do it. So let me dip my toes first. And I did the intro course, which was very lightweight, six weeks, two times a week, nothing too, nothing too crazy. And you kind of just learn the basics. Really, you're not learning a lot, but what you're learning is what this world could be, right? You're learning what you might essentially get into, just little kind of tidbits of introductions on different concepts. And I, I really enjoyed it. I thought this was something I could do and I wanted to do. And I took the plunge and did the boot camp. And 12 weeks later, I kind of finished. I'm trying to remember them now. They're all a blur. It was kind of crazy. Everyone who does a boot camp, you'll hear. I just, I don't know how I got through it, but if I would do it again, 100%. Because it is such like a rewarding feeling at the end of it. You took something that you first thought was not possible and you emerged 
a completely different person, a person who now has the tools to to learn. You don't have the tools to just go ahead and forge a career, but you can. You have the tools you need to kind of learn and just adapt on the spot. And that's kind of like my biggest gain from the boot camp is, I wouldn't say the technical knowledge was 100%, but the tools I got for me to progress and build on the base that I got during the boot camp were invaluable. I finished in December. People were winding down, going into vacations. So not a lot of uh, people were hiring. I ended up, funny story, I ended up interviewing with my current job, the one that I'm working, the company that I'm working in now, immediately after boot camp, the same day, actually, they were at the demo day. We sat down, we talked a little bit. They also sat down with my teammate at the time. Long story short, my teammate got the job. I didn't. We'll, we'll circle back to that. And then I interviewed with a tech startup in January here in Montreal called Food Relay. And we just kind of clicked. It worked out. I did a couple of interviews. I got the job. And then I started right away as a junior developer in a very small team. It was a queer-led team. My entire teammate was queer. I loved every minute and it just happened so naturally too. Like it wasn't something that I was looking for. But when I saw it, I was like, this is something I'm kind of passionate about and I want to try to make this work as much as possible. That's great. How... How did you leave the transition from, you know, three months is a very short period. So how did you leave the transition from before the bootcamp, during and after, like personally and professionally, did you actually felt like growing into a sort of new person? And uh, what was the hardest challenge that you had to face? Oh, totally. Um, I felt a huge transition. And before the bootcamp, there was a lot of fear. There's uncertainty. And that stays kind of throughout throughout the, the bootcamp. But the fear starts to kind of dissipate um, a little bit. I think at the time, I just put a lot of pressure on myself. It was either the bootcamp or nothing at all. Like, this needs to work because I'm in a new city. I can't be dependent on my family. They were extremely supportive and extremely generous. But that needs to stop at some point, right? Like, I can't just be piggybacking off of their backs. I was so appreciative for what they've given me, but it was time for me to branch out on my own. And I viewed the bootcamp as sink or swim. It's this or nothing, which maybe in hindsight, it was a lot of pressure that I've put on myself. During my time, I learned that it's actually failure is what you need in order for you to succeed in this. I needed to fail. I needed to have the multiple breakdowns that I had. It was not like really easy. And I'm so thankful for my friends and like family and my partner as well, who put so much time into making sure I just had the support. And that's kind of how I started growing as a person. I was like, I need to fail. I need to accept failure. And I need to, instead of feeling like this is it, the end, I need to see, okay, now that I've done this and it didn't work, what can, what can I do to kind of progress further? And that is something they really kind of focus on during the bootcamp is that do not be scared to fail. It's not going to feel great, but when you get it right, it's going to feel amazing. And let's just kind of focus on that and let's try to get it right. And if we fail along the process, then by all means. So I took that and I ran with it after the bootcamp. I started bulk applying to jobs. It's like... I need to apply to every single job listing that I could find. And I quickly found out that that was just not realistic. You are not being authentic to yourself. You're also not conveying your best self 
to, to the person that you're sending the application to if I'm just kind of copy-pasting everything. So I quickly adjusted. I realized that I do not need 10 yeses. All I need is one yes. And I want that yes to count. And that's when I started being thoughtful about how I'm going to approach my career. Where do I want to land? What team do I want to be in? And that was not a thought process I had before the bootcamp or during. It, was, it happened after, when I seriously started thinking about the kind of work I wanted to do and the environment that I wanted to do it in was crucial for me. This podcast is powered by the Canada Media Fund. As the country's largest funder of screen content, we are proud to support 2S LGBTQ plus creators. Learn more at cmf-fmc.ca. At RBC, diversity and inclusion is more than a value. It's a strength, an engine for innovation and economic prosperity. As proud sponsors of Queer Tech, RBC puts DNI into action every day by developing strong talent and creating an inclusive workplace that brings their purpose of helping their clients thrive and communities prosper to life. Find out more about Tech at RBC and their latest roles on their jobs page. Did you know that the team was uh, all queer people before applying? I knew that the team lead was. I just kind of had a good vibe. We seemed like such a great fit. The company's about food. I'm a huge foodie. I love to eat. And I was not shy to kind of let them know. And I think that contributed to gelling with people, right? Because we, sh we share common interests. In one of the interviews, I think it was in the later stage, it was potentially the third interview, which was the last interview. I made my banana bread and I took it with me to that interview. And I was like, guys, I made banana bread. It's for everyone. Like, let's kind of sit down and talk and have a nice, uh, um, have a nice little snack. <laughs> it worked out great for me. I, I would recommend to read the room first, but just put yourself <laughs> out there. Wow, that's great. Actually, that's a great advice. I think that we always, you know, should try to understand also what the shared interests are besides work, you know, besides the technical part of work. And uh, I think it's such a valuable experience to be part, you know, of a queer team. And what do you think are the most important characteristics that, you know, a queer lead has? What did help you in your first experience in tech? Empathy. That was a huge one for me. I got this job directly out of bootcamp. Huge imposter syndrome especially at a startup. You get in, things are moving extremely fast. Everyone is doing what they need to do to kind of keep the ship sailing. And I walked in and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Do I belong here? Can I do what, you, what everyone is doing? Can I even contribute? And of course, like during the interviews, I'm like, I'm looking forward to contributing. I'm looking forward to doing all these like great things with everyone. Then you get the job and you're like, oh gosh, how can I, how can I contribute? Especially as a junior. So having an empathetic leader was massive for me. They've created a space for me to feel comfortable taking tasks and potentially fail and ask questions. Just the fact that you maybe you're a bit slow in the beginning, that does not mean you're bad or you're doing anything bad. We're all moving at a fast pace and you will adapt and learn. But let's get you comfortable first, because once you're comfortable, you will produce. So that's, I think, the number one characteristic for me would be empathy. It would also be being a good listener and just taking time to listen to what your employee or what your teammate is trying to say. Sometimes it's hard for us to communicate, especially when we're scared and when we're stressed. So having someone that acknowledge that and tries to gently pull it out of you 
is very helpful, at least for someone like me. I just need a bit of a nudge. And once I'm nudged, I can just, things can flow out of me and I can get acquainted pretty quickly. I want to take a step back now. You mentioned the fact that you uh, went to Canada through a refugee program. Uh, you're from Syria, then you moved to Lebanon and then Canada. Do you want to share with us part of that journey also as a queer person? Totally. I think we'll start with Syria. I lived in Syria my entire life. We moved in 2012. I want to say I was 17 at the time. 2012 was a bad time for Syria. It was when the conflict was starting to happen. It was starting to escalate. And my mother made the decision, it's time for us to leave. We moved to Lebanon and bless her, she moved all of us within a week. She got us a house. She closed down all of the things, all of the loose ends that we needed to close down. And she just packed us off and we left. Um, I remember I didn't even say goodbye to her to most of my friends. I was like, I can't do this. It also feels unreal, like it's not something that is happening. And we moved. I personally was not really against the move. I always felt like I didn't 100% belong in Syria. It was hard for me to find people to connect with. It was also hard for me to vocalize my dreams and aspirations because I felt like they did not fit the norm. So the move was actually welcome for me. It's just the way it happened is unfortunate that we just... It was caused by war. It was very quick. We had to leave behind a lot of good people that we met along the way. I land in Lebanon and it felt great. It felt more open. There are more freedom for you to express yourself. It's still the Middle East, but it is more progressive, especially for the queer community. It's not ideal. Um, it's still a very much marginalized and oppressed community, you're not really allowed to express yourself whatsoever. But it was an improvement. So I was like, okay, great. Let's just kind of work with it. Did my high school, started meeting a couple of friends, uh, people from the queer community. But then I had these two separate lives. I was not out publicly to any of my friends or my family, but I had some queer friends I met along the way. And I was like, okay, safe space here, safe space here. They don't really need to collide. Little did I know that was my survival instinct talking. I, I will touch on that a bit later. But yeah, I, I was on survival mode and I didn't even know it. So I kept those two things separate and I kind of found pockets of happiness. I got fulfillment, two, two very different types of fulfillment from each groups. I got the support of my family, the support of my, my friends, and then the support of the queer community. And I just kind of kept everything separate. As I kind of started maturing a little bit, maturing, I mean, I was what, like 17 going on 20. I'm not maturing whatsoever, but in comparison, I started getting more involved with queer NGOs in Lebanon. The goal was to just have that safe space. I had my group and it was great, but I realized that not a lot of people have that. People struggle to find people that they identify with. And the NGOs at the time were really focused on community, building the community, having a safe space that people can come in physically and just interact and make connections, make friends, just kind of exist as you are without the need for you to like try to put on a face or try to act. And that was great. That was kind of like my beginning with really being exposed to the queer community. I was like, oh my God, there's so much power in this, even though we're doing such little things, but there's so much power and there's so much positivity that comes out of it. It was very sad when I had to leave. The decision to leave to Canada was personal, 
And it was easy personally, but I did not think of all the consequences and all of the things that I would be leaving behind. When the opportunity presented itself, I was like, yes, immediately, yes, no doubt. And then when the time came, I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? I'm leaving this little pocket of happiness that I created for myself. I remember it was extremely difficult until I landed here. It took me a couple of months, but then I realized that there's a kind of a weight lifted off of my shoulders. We go back to the term survival mode. I realized that I was in survival mode. A lot of my energy and my focus was always put on making sure I blend in, making sure I don't stand out, making sure no one can point out my queerness in the, the bigger crowd. Oh my gosh, I did not realize how the weight that that ha can have on someone. And that slowly kind of started to go away, Na very naturally. I didn't even think about it. It just kind of started to melt away. And then I truly became more comfortable. My confidence levels also shot up because I'm not, there's no fear, right? I can focus on just being myself. And if people choose to accept or not accept, it's more on them. And I do have the law that can protect me, which I did not have back then. There was really no one on your side if something were to happen. And that's the crazy, craziest part, that I was living this kind of completely happy life that could crumble in a second. If the wrong person saw me in a specific situation, or if someone just took, took note and then started sharing like different aspects of me. So I had to shelter myself as much as possible and really be mindful to who I expose myself or to who I expose specific parts of myself. And that wasn't the case in Canada, which felt so liberating. Hi there, I'm Andy, the COO and co-founder of Queer Tech, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm excited to take this opportunity to tell you about Queer Tech's digital community. The Queer Tech digital community is a safe virtual space for 2S LGBTQ plus people who work with or have an interest in technology. In the digital community, members can connect, share experiences, and learn best practices. The community promotes diversity, equity, and inclusion in the tech industry, empowering members to achieve their goals and drive change. Learn more about our services and events at queertech.org. How did you feel this change, this fear that you brought with yourself from Lebanon? How did you how did you meet queer people in Canada and trying at the same time to let go of that fear? That's an interesting question. We'll start with how I met uh, queer people here. I, again, NGO land. I was like, I know there's a couple of NGOs here and there was a specific one for queer Arab people that are landing in Montreal. It was called Helem and it's, it's still running. And that's where I met my first friend, still friends to this day, extremely close friends. He was also a newcomer from Syria. Actually, I feel like we might have met on Tinder. And then we went to the <laughs> NGO together. Typical. Typical. Love um, it. Yeah, I think we did, we did meet on Tinder. And then together we went to the NGO. And then our circle of, of friends started growing and growing. But again, I looked for a safe space. And I was like, where can I get this kind of congregation? And Halem, the NGO, was the first kind of step to that. And with that, our circle kind of grew and grew, and we became more independent, and we started venturing out. Um, and that's kind of how I made friends initially. It was Tinder and NGOs. 
this is something that lots of people that move from one country to the other experience. The fact that you have to make new friends and you bring with yourself experiences from the past and you try, you know, to make new things. So yeah, I like I also use the the collective uh, environment. So like here we have lots of NGOs, but also, you know, collectives just of queer people that decide to do things together. You know, you find your community. But going back to your professional journey as well, I think you will have a quite particular experience because your first theme was, you know, with all queer people. But where did you feel did you feel comfortable from the very start to express your queerness at work or did it take time? I think it definitely took time just having that background of coming from the Middle East. Like in my head, I was constantly calculating, okay, is this kind of appropriate to say? Is this okay to say? Can I just expose myself a little? And it it took a bit of time, but they've provided that kind of safe space for me to slowly start being more and more expressive. And that was like priceless, honestly. And after my first job, I decided that I'm actually going to lead with my queerness first. I need to present that first. That is, This is not something that I want to hide, especially, especially in a professional setting. Because if we cannot align on that, then we cannot work together. We were, I'm going to be ha- uh, unhappy. You're going to be unhappy with the work that I'm going to produce. And it's just not going to work well. How did you move from your first job to where you're at now? This is this is an interesting story. So as I was saying, the company that I'm at now, Plank, is the first company I ever interviewed with. And it just didn't work out at the time. But I kept that door open. I was cordial. They were also very cordial. They also hired my my teammate at the time. We did our final project in the bootcamp together. So I had that connection as well. And I kept that going. And we kind of would chat and touch base and like, how are you doing? What kind of work you're doing? And all of that stuff. And one day he was like, by the way, we're looking for another developer. Would you be interested? I was like, sure. Yeah, totally. Let's sit and talk. And he facilitated the whole setup. And I sat down with the team lead and one of the managing partners at the time, now uh, vice president. And we went over reintroductions. Here's where I was, here's where I'm at, all of those things. And again, it was the wrong time. It didn't work out. We kind of had a a bit of conflict on salary, right? It was not, it was not what I was expecting at the time. I had production experience. So I felt in order for me to leave my job, which I do like at the startup, I needed more incentive. And that was not possible, you know, budgets and all of those things. It wasn't possible at the time. So we just decided that it was not the right time. Great. But again, it kept that door open. We were kind of starting to see that our values align, like our core ethics just connect. And that was kind of something special. And I didn't want to close that door ever. And I don't think they wanted to. A year goes by. They send another message. They're like, hey, we're hiring. This time we're hiring for more of like an intermediate level position. So there's more budget. There's more money for us to be more like to talk. And I was like, sure, let's kind of sit down. We sat down as a very quick interview. At that point, it was extremely casual. We still talk about it to this day. I showed up with a with a like a, a backwards cap on, extremely casual. Hey, how's everyone? Because by that point, we kind of knew each other. It was not the first time we were sitting to talk. And I think 
just going through my experience at the startup, my confidence started building. Also, my skills started building and I was more and more aware of it. Um, whereas before, I still kind of was having the imposter syndrome, which still comes, but it was more present uh, back then. So I wasn't really selling myself. And by the, the third time we sat down, I was kind of very clear technically. I was also clear about what I expected and all of those things. And I was more comfortable with, with where I'm at and with the contributions that I could bring to their team. And the next day I got the offer. It was a very quick process. Accepted the offer, sent in my resignation at the, at the startup, which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do because I connected with everyone, right? And I felt like I owed them so much, maybe not the company in general, but my team. They were instrumental in my growth. And it felt bad for me to be like, uh, I kind of want to move on. Come to find out three weeks after I left, they fired all of the tech team. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what was ha what's happening? Because the CEO at the time was like, what can we do to keep you? Would you want to stay? Like, tell us, let's talk about it. And I was like, I just feel like it's the right move for me to leave. And then I get a message with like, everyone is gone. There's no more tech team. I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. It feels like fate. Yeah. Totally. So now you are a front-end developer, right? What does that mean? It means I work with my team to make websites look beautiful. We, we paint the website. We put the structure of it visually together. Um, so it's a lot of kind of creative work, a lot of visual work that I really enjoy, but also retains a good degree of technical work, which I also enjoy. You have a lot of different puzzles to solve. It's just, it happens that most of the time your puzzles are visual and it's the stuff that the user interacts with the most. So it's fun because I get to mix my psychology background in it too. Like I'm I'm trying to think as the user, put the user first. How is this person interacting with this website? And I'm fortunate enough to work in a space where my voice is heard, right? Like if I, if I think something should be changed, even though it's not really my domain, people are very open to being like, oh, tell us your thoughts, tell us more. I started as an intermediate developer at Plank and uh, quickly transitioned into senior within nine months. Um, so it was a kind of a quick turnaround for me. Yeah, congrats. It means you're very good at it. <laughs> Thanks. I think it's, it was like a combination of things. It was the right time, the right space for me to go in and express myself. It was the right time for me in the sense of I had technical knowledge that I could bring that could directly benefit everyone. And I was not shy to, to be like, hey, let's, let's do this. Let's do that. And I think that in part goes to my team lead who created this environment um, where people feel safe to speak up and share their opinion, also step up when they need to, right? Like, if you know of a solution that maybe not all of us do, don't be shy, let's kind of talk about it. Um, no stress, it works out, it works out, it doesn't work out, we'll adjust. Um, and with that environment, I kind of really flourished. Do you think that your experience as a queer person, as a refugee, as a person that has a background in psychology impacted your ability right now to be part of a team and to contribute and to be proactive? Oh, 100%. We go back to empathy all the time. And I think as a queer individual, you're constantly exposed to a lot of sometimes turmoil. And that makes you a sensitive person. That also makes you a thoughtful person. 
we have an innate ability to connect with people um, because we're constantly looking for connections. We're constantly looking for representation and that reflects everywhere. And that's a really useful tool to have at work. Once you form those connections, once you listen to your teammates, once you're kind of empathetic to what people are going through and try to be there for them because they're your team, they're your community at work, it's your circle, it's also your safety net. There are people to fall back on. So it's really important for you to kind of cultivate all of that. And I think just going through a lot, maybe stuff that are not very traditional, especially in in a place like Canada, like, you know, coming from the Middle East, coming in as a refugee, coming in as a queer person, added a lot of layers. And those are all layers that I was able to tap into and bring up in my workspace. For example, Plank is extremely open to the partnership with queer tech. And that was something that happened so naturally where I just walked in and I was like, you know, there's an organization Queer tech gave the mission, gave everything. There was immediately no pushback. Yes, let's do it. This aligns with our values. This aligns with who we are. This just aligns with where we want to be as an organization. And they just took that and went for it. And with that partnership, a comfortable space was created for hopefully more queer individuals to join the team and feel safe to express themselves. That door needed to be opened somehow. And queerness is what opened that door. Hi, my name is Naufel. I am the CEO and co-founder of QueerTech. And QueerTech is a nonprofit based in Montreal. And our mission is about queering the tech ecosystem. And what it means is increasing to us LGBTQ representation in the tech industry, uh, helping queer people advance their career in tech and launching tech businesses. What is your professional ambition right now? What do you want to do? I'm really enjoying the the tech space. I really like the problem solving, the technical aspect of it. But what I also really like mentoring and supporting other developers. Um, at work, uh, currently, I'm the I'm the only senior in my team under my team lead, and then we have some very talented, very ambitious developers who are progressing their career. And I really want to be there for them and help facilitate that growth, help them get to where they need to, where they need to get. So I'm, fi I'm finding a lot of value in that kind of like back and forth and almost mentorship aspect to my job. So I kind of want to push that forward, see where that takes me, see what we could potentially do. Maybe we can start something new that we don't have right now, but we just need to kind of like shape things. And I'm excited to see what that future holds. What do you think is the current state of queer representation in the tech industry? I think it's it's hard, to be honest. There's major progress that is happening, especially with queer tech. I mean, the initiatives are amazing. It's so heartwarming to see. I attended the queer tech conference last year with work. Um, me, my team lead, our people person, Luke, also went with us. We kind of just wanted to be exposed. And it was also the beginning of our partnership with QueerTech. And we just kind of wanted to be in the space and feel what's happening. I was not prepared for the amount of emotions that I would feel at the conference, especially when it came to to numbers on studies. I, I can't recall the exact percentage, but there's a massive percentage of people who are scared to come out at work. And that also because of my experiences, 
because I had a pleasant experience with my team so far. That was not something that crossed my mind. And just to see that the degree of it was really shocking. And I was like, no, we have to change this. And that's why I'm so passionate about queer tech and what they're doing, because the impact is huge. If just one person looks at someone and feels like, oh my God, we're kind of similar. We're not the same person, but we share a similar life experience potentially. And this makes me feel safe to just exist and take a breath and not be scared to put my queerness forward for the sake of potentially not being leveled up or potential prejudice. Just to remove that is insane. Even if it's just for one person, it's massive. What would you tell to someone who's experiencing that situation where they're afraid to come out and they want to? What would you tell them? I think I would start by saying that your feelings are completely valid. The world can be scary. It can be bleak. It can be dim. But I would highly urge you to just stay on the lookout and cultivate those relationships that create these little pockets of, of happiness, especially at your workplace. And once that network grows, your power grows too, because there's power in numbers. Once you have allies, be it in the queer community or outside of the queer community, that is just going to empower more and more people. You don't need to necessarily just push forward and be like, hi, I'm here, I'm queer, if you're not comfortable with it. Start slowly, start with one person, and then grow that cultivate that. I have a, a last question that it's like more, I think more of like curiosity of mine. Do you think you'll ever go back to psychology or like pursue a degree here or trying to introduce it in the work you're doing now? I think I want to, but I'm also the type of person that wants to do a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of things. Like I, I definitely think it would be worth for me to just go back and finish that chapter just because it was something I was very passionate about. But I also want to pursue like interior design, maybe. I want to do everything, but I just need to be realistic and take it one step at a time. I think technology is so interesting because there's a huge intersection you can bring so much value from past experiences or from new experiences that are not directly related to tech. Um, for example, I look at interior design and I like to really design my home to convey a specific feeling when you enter into different rooms and to like, set the mood and do all of that. And you can do that with web design and web development. When someone goes into a website, they're also interacting with an experience, an experience that conveys emotion, that conveys feeling, that provokes thought. Instead of just creating websites, I want to do more like experiences and have people think a little bit. Thank you very much, Nezu, for, uh, for everything that you shared. It was really powerful. You have an amazing journey. And uh, from the conversation we have, I can say you are an amazing person. It was, it was truly lovely to listen to you. And I guess I will see you next time. The QT Podcast was developed by the small but dedicated team that runs Queer Tech and all its activities. Production and audio mixing by Daisy. Video editing by Tegan Lance. I'm Marju Marchetti, host of the QT Podcast. To all the cuties out there, you can visit queertech.org to connect with community, career support, and more. We hope to see you soon. Hi, I'm Dave. 
the producer of the QT Podcast. The QT Podcast hosts interviews with inspiring 2S LGBTQ professionals and entrepreneurs in the tech ecosystem. We've created this podcast with the hopes to influence positive cultural change by creating a platform for sharing experiences, achievements, and challenges faced by members of the 2S LGBTQ community. Thank you for listening.